Chuck thought I had some kind of weird creature on the screen earlier today, but it's actually a man carrying a backpack. See, Amos, the name Amos means burden bearer, and so this is this guy's carrying his burden. Not much of a burden to a backpack, but anyway, that's what, what that image is. The book, the name Amos does mean burden bearer, or one that, or one that bears a burden. And tonight we're going to start looking at this book. We're going to begin by looking tonight really at chapters 1 and chapters 2. Uh, not necessarily going through it verse by verse, but we are going to look at uh, the different, most of the verses anyway, we're going to be looking at the different nations, the punishment of the nations that border Judah and Israel, but also the punishment of Judah, Judah and Israel as well themselves, because there was a lot of wickedness that was going on. And if you notice one thing about the minor prophets as we've been going through this, is that they have been dealing with a lot of sin, a lot of wickedness. Some, some small groups, some, you know, sometimes it's a group of people, but sometimes it's various nations. And here we find the same idea here in Amos. There's all these nations and all the things they have been doing that have gone against God. And we're going to see how they're going to begin uh, to be dealt with. We're going to focus on uh, looking at what they've done and why, and because of that, how God's going to bring judgment upon them. And so we're going to begin first by looking at the punishment of the nations uh, bordering Judah and Israel. And this will take us from verse 3 uh, through the first part of chapter 2. And we begin first with uh, Damascus. And we find in uh, Amos chapter 1, looking at verses 3, three through 5, the Bible says, Thus said the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. That's actually a reference to people. They have treated people so badly, it's like they have threshed them like a person would thresh wheat. That's talking about they have literally been beating these people. And he says, They have threshed Gilead, with, with, uh, threshed Gilead with implements of iron, but I will send fire to the house of, of Hazel, which shall devour the palaces of, of Benhadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus. I will cut off the inhabitants from the valley of, of Avon, and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, the people of, of Syria, shall go captive to Ker, says the Lord. And so we find here in verses 3 through 5, the people thresh. People like a farmer would thresh wheat. That is, they beat people severely. They were abusing people. Uh, basically, you could say their punishment is because of their cruelty in war. Believe it or not, some people, you know, war is a terrible thing to think about and various things that happen. But especially in different situations and especially with prisoners of war, sometimes there's a lot of bad things that happen. Uh, you know, people sometimes aren't just simply placed in prison and told to stay there until it's over. That really isn't what happens. Uh, it's, there's a lot of bad things to take place. And these individuals here we find they're being punished for their cruelty. Their palaces will be destroyed. And you notice also there uh, in verse 5 he says, I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Aben and the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden. The idea there being that their protections would be completely destroyed. There would be no protection left for them. The idea of that gate bar being broken down, there's no more protection. Why? Because these people are being very, very cruel, very violent, uh, very destructive, very harsh, uh, just not individuals you want, to, you want to deal with. And what we find here, though, that God's going to deal with them. 
He says in verse four, I will, he says in verse four, I will send fire in the house of Hazael, which will devour the palaces of Aden. He will also do what? He'll take away their, their, their protection, their sense of protection. God's going to deal with these people. And now next we find in verses 6 through 8, the Gaza of Philistia. Well, they, their major sin, to summarize, was basically we'd call slave traffic. They were selling people left and right and treating people poorly, just uh, treating people poorly in general, but they were selling people into slavery. We find in verse 6, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away his punishment, because they took captive the whole captivity, the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. That is, they're literally just giving them away, selling them as captives here, uh, selling them as slaves. We find in verses 7 and 8, that God will bring punishment upon them for their sins. In verse 7, he says, But I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza. You're going to notice there's a pattern. God sends a lot of fire to a lot of people. He's going to punish them for their, for their evil. He says, which should devour its palaces. This is a common phrase you find throughout these nations is that God sends fire. He's going to devour, the, devour their palaces. He's going to destroy every nice thing they have, destroy their homes. Why? Because they're evil people and doing evil things. He says in verse 7, which shall devour its palaces. Verse 8, I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod. And the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon, I will turn my hand against Ekron, the remnants of the Philistines, and the remnants of the Philistines shall perish, thus says the Lord. So God's going to bring punishment upon them. Again, talking about cutting people off, talking about taking away the scepter, doing things they're going to take away from their concept of protection. They're not going to be pleasing, the, they're not pleasing the side of God. They're doing wicked things. God's punishing them. And we find as we're going to continue going, there's actually, we're going to look at six different groups before we look at Judah and Israel uh, as well. But we look at verses 7 and follow, or excuse me, verse 9 and 10, we find then, we find next Tyre, who delivered up brothers. Now they were selling people off into slavery, but here they're, they're being referenced as brothers, those who were close to them. Thus said the Lord, for three transgressions of, three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered up the whole captivity of Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. There it is again, right? A common thing. God's going to bring punishment. This is what they've done. What's God's response? I'm going to punish you. But notice there in verse 9, he says that they will, uh, because they have delivered up the whole captivity of Edom, and did not remember the covenant of the brotherhood. They forgot their attitude that they should have towards their brothers, and they were guilty of selling people into slavery. And so they, they were not those who you might say could you could trust. He says in verse 9, they did not remember the covenant, that is their promise or an agreement, with the brotherhood, with their brotherhood, or of brotherhood, I should say. So there's the problem with Tyre. They sold those who were close to them into slavery. They did not keep their, their word. And they were going to be dealt with by God. Looking at verses 11 and 12, we find Edom, who had, you might say, an, an, a special kind of hatred for Israel. Look at verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away his punishment, because he pursued his brother with his sword and cast off all pity. His anger tore perpetually. He, and he kept his wrath forever, but I will send a, send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of, of Bozrah. And so what we find here, they are, their, their punishment or their evil, 
is that their hatred is strong, their hatred does not end, and they're pursuing people, they're just, you might say, violent people whose hatred is so strong, they're just attacking, it seems like, almost everybody, right? Because he pursued his brother with the sword, that would be those who were close to them, and cast off all pity, which means they showed no mercy. Their hatred did not come to an end. He says in verse uh, 11 there, his anger tore perpetually. That is, their, their hate, their sin is just this extreme, seemingly unending hatred. Their anger tore perpetually. And he says yeah, he kept his wrath forever. These people had no pity, no mercy. What happens in verse 12, we've seen already, but I will send fire upon them, right? He will devour their palaces. Again, God brings bringing judgment. It's interesting how some of these things that's mentioned even, you know, here they're, they're very violent, but also the one of the sins that's mentioned is one that's not necessarily violent, but just the idea that hatred is condemned. Their hatred was lasting forever. He says there in verse 11, and he kept his wrath, their anger, their hatred forever. They did not relent. He says in verse, verse 11, also he says, and cast off all pity, which means they showed no mercy. And what happens? God's coming against them. Next we look at Amon in verses 13 through 15. Amon was very intense. You might say in the head, they had an uncalled for cruelty. As we look at verses 13 through 15. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the people of Amon, and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because, now notice, now this is graphic, because they ripped open the women with child and Gilead. We understand what that means, right? They were actually just tearing open people. Ripped open the woman with the child in Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and in the tempest in the day of the whirlwind. Their king shall go into captivity. He and his princes together, says the Lord. Now the Lord's response there is described a little bit more in verses 14 to 15, right? In verse 13, these people are so wicked, they're actually tearing open the, the stomachs of pregnant women and killing their children as well. That's a, what I call again, a special kind of hatred, an uncalled for cruelty, right? You might say their grotesque evil is what brought God's unescapable wrath upon them. The coming destruction, as we find in verse 14, is described as a fire that burns so loudly, and that, like the shouts and battles. And he mentions here the intensity is like that of a tornado, right? Now, a tornado, you may say it's far a long way off. If you're close to it, if you actually have to experience a tornado, it's very intense, isn't it? It sounds, some people oftentimes people say a tornado will sound like a train almost. The walls will rattle. The, you know, everything is just loud until that tornado passes. And he, we find here in verse 14, that they describes this wrath that God's going to bring upon them. He mentions amid the shouting the day of battle and a tempest in the day, in the day of the whirlwind. And he also mentions here, verse 15, their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together. God's going to punish them in that way. Fire, destruction, their king and their princes going into captivity because these are very cruel, very wicked people. It's just described there in verses 13 through 15. Next we find uh, Moab. It's mentioned in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where they even do something. It's interesting, these last two, I mean, Ammon was no doubt very cruel, 
Moab's, I don't even really understand the purpose of this, just to show how much they hated someone. But in verses 1 through 3, look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus said the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four, I will, turn, I will not turn away his punishment, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Yeah, the other being that if he wasn't buried, or he was buried, they even would dig it up and they would burn his bones. The Bible says there to lime. Now, I didn't do research to see what it would take to burn something to lime, but I'm sure it would probably take a long time or intense heat, or maybe both, I don't know. For their sin was burned the bones of a deceased king until they became lime. And we continue reading here in verse 1, not just that. He says in verse 2, rather, he says, But I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces and Kuroth. Moab shall die with tumult. That, is, that would be the idea of a riot, right? With, with shouting and trumpet and sound. And I'll cut off the, the, the judge from its midst and slay all his princes with him. They're so wicked that they kill, they're, no doubt they're killing people, but also they're burning the bones of the, of the king, showing tremendous disrespect, right? What purpose does it serve to burn the bones of someone? You can't harm them anymore, can you? It's just showing disrespect and showing a deep, no doubt, a deep hatred for people. And he says there in verse 1, because of that, what's going to happen? Because of that type of attitude, that type of anger, he says he will not turn away its punishment. He goes on to say in verse 2, I will send fire upon Moab, which all these have had the same thing happen, right? Similar things. And it shall devour the palaces of Kuroth. Moab shall die with a tumult, with shouting and a trumpet and, and, with a, and a trumpet sound. And I did there something very riotous. This destruction will be, the destruction is taking place. It's going to be loud. The whole place is going to be up in an, uh, in an uproar. And he says, Now I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all his princes with him. The judge will die that's, that's appointed there, and all the princes there as well will die. Why? Because of their incredible evil. Now that's the nations boarding Judah and Israel there from verse 3 through chapter 2 and verse 3. Now beginning in verse 4, you have the punishment of Judah and Israel. And we look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Here the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not turn away its punishment, because they have despised the law of the Lord. You notice it changes some, right? In verses, you know, with Damascus and all these others there from verse 3 through chapter 2, verse 3, it's really about violence and hatred. You, really more, I say, the physical things they did, the evil, the cruelty, the killing, and those types of things. And no doubt, those things are incredibly wicked, and they are going to be punished by God for that. But when you get to chapter 2, beginning with Judah, you notice, what is their transgression? It's not about war, or battle, or physical, you know, physical action that they have done, but it's a spiritual one. He says in verse 4, he says, what? I will not turn away its punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord and did not keep his commandments. Their, their lies led them, led them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah and shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Was their punishment any different? It's the same, right? It's the fire, it's the palaces being destroyed. It's the same punishment. It's a different type of sin. Because it's spiritual in nature. Now, they both have spiritual consequences. We understand that. But their sin was what? They despised the Lord, the laws of the Lord. There in verse 4. He says they had not kept his commandments. 
Their lies led them astray, which their lies there seems to imply their false teaching, right? Their false hope. Lies, it says, which their fathers followed. And so what happens is it's almost like, well, they learned it, and now their fathers have taught it to them, right? And he says, Violence in the fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Her sin was apostasy. They rejected the law of God and turned to lies. In verses 6, really through verse 16, you deal with Israel's punishment. And we begin here, first looking at verses 6 through 8. We find the sins of Israel can be described really as injustice, oppression, shameless immorality, and contempt for the Lord. Looking at verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away his punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver. That's the idea there of being unjust, in that, that oppression. They're selling people for money. He says, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of sandals. That's that injustice and oppression. They paint after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. That is, they despise the poor, they pervert the lives of the humble people. They show their immorality was on display by their, as we're going to see here in a moment, uh, by their idolatrous feast. He goes on to say here in verse 7, And they pervert the way of the humble, and a man, his father, go into the same girl to defile my holy name. The King James, I believe there, says the same prostitute. He says to defile my holy name. They, they lie down... Uh, by every altar on clothes taking in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. So this, their show, they show their immorality was on display by their idolatrous feast and worship where a man, his son, would go into the same uh, prostitute, the same, as he says here, the same girl there in verse 7. They show their further contempt for the law of God by keeping the garments taken in pledge which were to be returned before night because they were the poor man's covering. We find that idea in Deuteronomy 24, 12, and 13. They lie down by every altar and clothes, taking in pledge, and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Well, I think about that last phrase, they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. The idea there being they have full fellowship with the wicked. They just enjoy that time with the wicked. He says, in the house of their, that it will be an idol, a false god, in the house of their God. We find next in verses 9 through 12, what I call a scornful contempt of the divine benefits from God. Looking at verses 9 and 11, he says here, 9 through 11, Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorites before them. This is God. He's going to start by talking about all the things he's done for them. And then he's going to mention how they have reacted after that. He says, Yet it was I, that is God, who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars. He, and he was as strong as the oaks. Yeah, I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Which means what? It wasn't going to grow any longer. And I ended him so he could not come back again, right? Also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you forty years to the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? Well, that's a rhetorical question, right? Did God not do this? Yes, he did this. Yes, he did those things for them. 
But how they react in verse 12, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink, which they were not to do, remember? They weren't to drink any, any alcohol. And command the prophets, saying, do not prophesy. What they do, they cause people to sin. They told the prophets to do what? To be quiet. They were wicked people. They had fallen so very far. Next we find in verses 13 through 16 what I'll call the inevitable or inescapable consequences. In verse 13 and following, the Bible says, Behold, I am weighed down. Again, this is God speaking. And keep in mind, it's God who's saying, Behold, I am weighed down by you. As a cart full of sheaves is weighed down, which means what? He has grown tired of them, right? They are wearisome because of their wickedness. It says, Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong uh, shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand with who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in the city. Shall flee naked in that day, said the Lord. Against Judah and Israel, the accusations of civil and religious charges we find they were doing tremendous evil. We find here that these individuals in verse 14 and following, nothing they could do, there was nothing they could do to fight back against God. They could not run away from His punishment. They could not try to use their bow or their strength or their speed or their horse to try to deliver Himself or to try to fight back against God. There was literally nothing they could do. And what I think about so much in this section is verse 13, when it's God who says their wickedness has become so much, he says it weighs him down like sheaves weighed down a cart. It means he has grown weary of them. And no doubt punishment was coming upon them. Some lessons for us today. Great evil is punished the same as all sin. Sin is punished the same, no matter what it may be. You might say perhaps that some sin in the Bible, it seems, is dealt with more quickly, especially when we find it in the Old Testament. But sin is dealt with the same. The price of sin, with the Bible tells us, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't change anything. The greatness of sin does not change anything. We all, we're going to be punished either way, whether we think it's great or small. Sin brings judgment, no matter how great or small the sin may be, that is, may be in our eyes. Man is reminded to treat his fellow man and God's commands with respect. Because you notice really in the first part there, chapter, of chapter 1, the first beginning of chapter 2, you find that most of those things that's happening, they're doing to other people. They're beating them, they're being cruel to them, they're ripping out children out of women's wombs, right? That's cruelty to man, obviously. They're selling people into slavery. Their actions are against man. But in chapter 2, as you get, after you get past that last nation, you get into Judah and Israel, the actions change from sins against man to sins against God, right? Because what was Judah's first sin that was mentioned? They, they do what? They have transgressed my laws. They don't keep my commandments. So it goes from the physical against man to their sins of some that were against God. They were spiritual in nature. So man is reminded to treat his fellow man and God's, and God's commands with respect. 
We should do well to our fellow man as much as possible. We also see in this lesson that entire nations can be guilty of sin because that's what was listed in chapter 1 and chapter 2, right? Entire nations can be carried away in sin. And at the same time, as entire nations can be, can be carried away or set up in sin, and we know we have seen this throughout history, and we see it in the Old Testament especially. And just as entire nations can be swept up in sin, the entire nation can also bear the price of the sins and errors of man. That means if an entire nation is swept up in sin, the entire nation can be expected to be punished and be dealt with by God. If not, in our time, then we can rest assured in the day of judgment. We will be, we will, we will be answering for our actions. Well, we will be answering for all those things we have done, whether good or evil. As we are reminded of that also in Ecclesiastes, in the final two verses there. So just as entire nations can be swept up in sin, the entire nation can also bear the price for the sins and errors of man. All sin comes with a price which is punishment from God. That's why it's important we repent and make ourselves right. We know that various nations, including our own, sometimes do things that are not right. And what do we do? We pray for it, right? We pray for our leaders. Paul encouraged Timothy to pray for all men in all powers and all positions, right? He talks about kings and princes and all those individuals. That we pray for all of them, and we should. It doesn't matter if we think they're the most incredible people we've ever seen or we think they're the worst leaders we've ever seen. We pray for them all the same. We don't pray, and put it this way, we should not pray for certain individuals to leave or to enter office. Instead, we should pray that our nation as a whole returns to biblical principles. That we return to a right standard instead. We don't point to say, well, this person can solve the problem because that's not true. Only God can solve our problems. Only returning to the Bible standard can our problems ever be solved. So let us notice the errors of those in the past and learn from them. If we will learn from the errors of others, we might just prevent ourselves from making the same mistakes. If we will learn from those who have gone before us. This evening, as you think about these things, if we can help you or encourage you in any way, you can come forward now. It's going to be saying, sing the song that's been selected. I wonder in the shades of night till Jesus.